Welcome back to the Cribsiders, everyone. We have a very special episode. This is a season one recap that has been brought to you by the med student producers on our team. The med students are taking over. They share some of their favorite pits of the year and recap some of our top episodes. The Cribsiders is a large team and we could not make episodes without each and every individual who contributes to the show. A huge, enormous thanks for the guests on this show, Edward Cordy, Shannon Snellgrove, Angela Zhao, Becca Raymond Coulter, and Cleo Rochat for putting everything together, but also our medical students, Clara Mao, Matt Cruz, Brian Ward, our resident contributors, Dr. Ann Yun, Dr. Jess Kelly, Dr. Crystal Nora, Dr. Joan Part, Dr. Martha Brucato, Dr. Nicholas Lee, and Dr. Tassine Kareem. You guys have been amazing to work with. Of course, myself and Chris the Chu Manchu are grateful for our listeners. Please reach out, send us an email, rate the show, tell your friends. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to season one and look forward to a lot of our episodes already coming up for season two. The Cripsiders podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host. I feel like there are no adults in the room. There's no rules. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. No parents, no rules. <laughs> MS4 takeover of the Cripsiders. I feel like it's appropriate because we're the baby episode. You know, like we're the baby version of the Cripsiders. So I think it's appropriate that the babies of the podcast are, are doing the <laughs> recap Definitely. episode this year. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Perfect. We all had different speeds. <laughs> and what do we do here? We are the Pediatric Medicine Podcast. We bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge and faith based dosings of fun. Yes. Whoa, that was scarily. That accurate. was incredible. <laughs> Okay, well, happy 2021, everyone. Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. I heard the other day that because there's no zero AD, this is actually the first day of the new decade. So that's <laughs> exciting. I'm hoping that since we're starting the first day of the of the year with podcasting, that means that all of our years will be very full of podcasting. Mm-hmm. I think it's a safe bet. So, you know, 2020 was a wild year full of ups and downs, but I thought we would get started with some of our picks of the year that got us through. I can start. Uh, My name's Angela. I use she, her pronouns. My three things that got me through this year, The Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. That's a speculative fiction trilogy. She's like a Black queer femme author that writes a lot about, you know, these like alternate worlds. And I think it's really awesome how she weaves themes of like oppression and power into them. I also love the series Big Mouth. Season four is out now on Netflix. I don't usually watch uh, like vulgar cartoons, but this one is teenagers and they all have their own hormone monsters. So I know all of us would love this show because, you know, we're right here on the Cribsiders. And I feel like all of us can remember scenes from our own puberty and <laughs> how accurately the show captures them. And then... still going through those? Is that quite? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait, what? <laughs> And my third pick is TikTok, which I got and it has saved me. It's like the best social media app out there. I don't get FOMO. I don't know anybody on the app. I learn new things. I just feel like it gets me through the day sometimes. (laughs) Up next on my end is Edward. 
Hey everybody, yeah, I'm I'm Edward. I use he/him pronouns. So my favorite picks of the year, I think they're about connecting. So the first one is the Strava app, which I mentioned in an earlier episode, and I started using this right when the pandemic started, and it allowed me to see what other people were doing for their workouts, and then allowed me to kind of upload my workouts and get a little dopamine rush anytime somebody said that uh, kudos to one of my runs. So the next up is uh, Together by Vivek Murthy, which is, I think, a very popular book, but I read it right at the end of the year. And um, it had so many pediatric topics. It had it was so much about the, the power of social connection. And um, I think we need it maybe more than ever this year. So it was really, really uh, a great read. Then um, the other one is something that I watched right at the beginning of the pandemic, which is Never Have I Ever. It's about, it's on Netflix, uh, about kind of, it was kind of a coming of age uh, series and about a, a girl who who lost her father. And also it has a cameo or the entire series has a cameo from uh, John McEnroe and I'm a big tennis fan. So it was pretty exciting. Mindy Kaling show, right? Right. Yep. I think written and produced by Mindy Kaling. Yep. Yes. Big Mindy Kaling stan over here. Oh, yeah. I think that's on my to watch list too, but I haven't gotten to it yet. You've motivated me to move it higher on my Netflix binge. <laughs> yeah. Check it out. Maybe spread it out more than I did, but enjoy. <laughs> I think Becca's next up with some picks. Hey, everyone. Um, I am Becca and also a fourth year. Really happy to be here um, with all, all these wonderful colleagues um, doing this recap episode. My pick of the year is a bit of a throwback. It is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I actually never watched when it originally came out. I think maybe I'd watched like one or two episodes in middle school, but I have gone back um, and started at the very beginning and watched have been watching it in order with my partner who was a big Buffy fan at the time and still is. And it has been so fun, super underrated show. Like I recommend that everyone watch it. There's friendship. There are a lot of different kinds of demons. There are definitely a ton of vampires. There's romance, there's growing up, like there's just so much. And, and honestly, there's just so much friendship. It's just, it's really a show about friendship. So it's, it's a feel-good show about battling darkness that never seems to go away. And honestly, that's it's a little too appropriate for this time. But there's there's a touch of um, a little bit of everything for everyone and magic. Um, so it's a, it's been a great way to spend this fall. So I highly recommend start at the beginning, watch it through. Huge pick of the year. It has really, really saved this year for me, for sure. Friendship and, and demons. That's I what mean, I was going to say. Yeah, you sold like, me. <laughs> What else could you ask for? On our next MS4 like produced episode, I think we should all just talk about how great Buffy is, how great Willow mm. is. There's a spinoff show, Angel. I haven't even gotten there yet, but I'm super excited. Um, great stuff. Is so, it live action or is it animated? Oh, it's all live. It's are there like special animated. effects? There are some very 90s special effects, <laughs> um, which are quite good. The The monsters sometimes are like a little bit less scary than they probably are meant to be um, just because of the way that the effects are done. But it's a good time all around. Feel good show. You know, uh, what I think it's kind of sad and, and people will hate our generation for this, but I think our generation remembers Sarah Michelle Gellar as the live action Scooby-Doo actress and not Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like that's the only thing I associate with Sarah Michelle Gellar is this live action Scooby-Doo movies, which are pretty horrible. But yeah. 
this will this will like revive everything she may be my now favorite actor i i don't know like <laughs> she she will forever be buffy in my heart at this time so <laughs> I, agree, right, I agree shannon i think that's why I, I think that's why people don't like millennials is because <laughs> of that take <laughs> that's our that's the only reason all right guys so 2020 was a big year for me guys i along with a lot of other people discovered the Korean band BTS early on. I think I it was like at the very beginning of the pandemic, like early March, late February, they came out with this new album and I had never really gotten into them before. I knew who they were. I knew that they were a thing, but I watched this James Corden carpool karaoke with them on it and like completely fell in love. And I was like, these are the seven most talented men on the face of the planet currently. And I will ride or die for them and <laughs> they are the greatest they have been together since 2013 so it's kind of overwhelming the amount of content they have because they have so many cds they have like tv shows and movies and like there's so much content out there so it's a little overwhelming so i'm gonna boil it down to my two favorite things of the year that they put out and they recently put out a, an album in late november called b like b-e and it is a album that they self-produced and it's basically how they dealt with the pandemic and not being able to like do their normal jobs because they're performers and they can't really perform anymore. So they made this album and it deals a lot with like mental health struggles that they have been going through because of the pandemic. And they also address like how they've been feeling with the pandemic. There's a whole song about like wanting to work, but not being able to work and then feeling bad that you can't work. And I feel like that's really relatable with especially medical students. For sure, we've felt that. We're like, oh, I want to do stuff, but I can't do anything. And then also they did an NPR Tiny Desk concert a couple of months ago. And I love NPR Tiny Desk. And so, and theirs is really, really great. I've recently rediscovered Tiny Desk and I realized they're actually now doing them in people's own homes, which makes sense because they can't do it in the like regular Tiny Desk cities because that's like a COVID hazard. But it's really cool to see the different spaces that people are performing in and I think it brings a whole new element to kind of the show. Tiny Desk series fan over here. Hi, everyone. I am Cleo. I am a fourth year med student. I use she, her pronouns. I have to say some highlights for me. So I love board games. And I think one of the things that really got me through this year was discovering online versions of board games that I was able to play with really like people from my childhood my neighbor's parents just like really enjoyed that Settlers of Catan, um, this game Azul, which is really fun. And then I also more recently watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix and loved that, made me want to play chess. So I'd say my picks are game related. <laughs> Azul yeah. is a great game. I just played that for the first time a couple of months ago and it was great. So fun. Um, Y'all, I'm so excited to, I feel like, I mean, this is something that um, I think a lot of people can relate to, but I feel like some of you have never actually met in person, you know, but it feels like, you know, we are like Becca said before we started recording, like it just feels like we're all hanging out together in the same room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never met any of you guys in real per in real life. In real person. In real person. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's been a, a big bonus pick of the year for me is like all of these communities on all these recording platforms that we're using and through this podcast. It's been cool. I've never worked on a podcast team before. This is really fun. Let's get started with some <laughs> awesome content. <laughs> Insert pun. <laughs> All right, let's get to it.
<laughs> I'm Shan the Shan Man Snowgrove. <laughs> You're never gonna live that one down, Shannon. I was trying to be like Chris. Well, you always talk. Hey, this has been Chris the Chew Man Chew, but his name works a whole lot better for that than mine does. I thought yours was pretty good too. Oh, thanks. So we thought, you know, we did a listen to all our episodes, and we felt like there were some really great pearls in all our episodes, and um, some themes really stood out to us. So. We will go theme by theme and talk about the episodes and producers sent in some pearls they really liked. So we'll take a listen. It'll be really multimedia. It's going to be great. So the first thing is the elephant in the room, which is obviously this COVID-19 pandemic situation. It felt really weird listening to a podcast episode clinical about the situation, especially the back to school special episode I felt like was coming out at this really like tense political moment. And for me, like added a whole layer onto how I thought about the current moment and what further courses of action, you know, should or shouldn't be. So the first episode uh, about COVID was the back to school special that I produced with Nick Lee and our guest was Dr. Josh Sharfstein. Uh, What we really talked about was just how we may have known that schools are so much more than a place for learning, but this pandemic has kind of shown a light on the fact that uh, kids are need to socialize there, they receive healthcare there sometimes, and certainly obtain huge amounts of nutrition there. We were encouraged to really think about how much children have been asked to sacrifice uh, for us already based on funding inequities in schools, and uh, even more based on COVID. Um, so often, schools being closed, and while other things remain open, just further, again, asking kids to sacrifice for us. And then finally, uh, was just the point that a lot of school districts have really been put in a difficult position due to a lack of um, a lack of direction from the top and putting a superintendent or school board in a position to decide what type of safety measures should be in place and what schools should remain open and who should go back. That's, that's a really difficult place to put them in. So uh, direction and, and leadership is absolutely key as we navigate the pandemic. Um, Yeah, I would say the other episode that really stood out to me in this theme was the MISC episode, which is that like post-COVID inflammatory syndrome. Nick, the producer, talked about the presentation, having GI symptoms, but also kind of like COVID has a really wide constellation of, of symptoms like neurological changes. And surprisingly, these patients can actually present with decreased cardiac function and are prone to fluid overload. So one thing that um, was interesting in this episode was that whoever is taking care of this patient should be careful with fluid resuscitation. I actually saw a patient with MISC. It was one of my first rotations back from you know taking the time off for COVID as all med schools did. And so A, I feel like it was really kind of weird coming back to clinical rotations when everyone else, you know, all the attendings and nurses and, you know, receptionists and MAs, like they had all been doing this for months. And so they had this whole routine down with the masks and the face shields and wiping down and all those different system changes that had to really happen. We had an MISC patient and um, she had the conjunctivus, conjunctivitis. (laughs) Thank you, Becca. (laughs) I think I'm missing like five letters in there. The conjunctivitis with the limbic sparing. And I feel like I've never seen that, um, you know, in a real person and looking at her, like it was just a really clear demarcated circle. And then the other thing that was really interesting, I think it was a really unique experience to take care of somebody and their family 
with a disease that's so new. And so we're all kind of figuring out together, um, both the healthcare system and the political system. And yeah, I'm really grateful to have taken, you know, help taking care of this patient. Awesome. Yeah, I think COVID is, I mean, obviously been such a huge deal for everyone in the, in the whole world, um, but also as medical trainees and, you know, people that are entering our, la- we're entering our last year of medical school as the pandemic kind of emerged. It, it's definitely something that has really marked our, our medical education this year and probably will mark, you know, our experience as uh, doctors, like for the rest of our lives really glad that we had the opportunity to produce produce these episodes this year with such amazing guests. We're going to move on to just talk about some of our most exciting high-yield clinical takeaways um, from some of our favorite episodes we produced this year. Maybe this will motivate people to take a re-listen or check out the awesome infographics that our team has made to sort of summarize some of these awesome, um, important basic clinical topics, um, but we're just going to kind of move through them rapid fire style and, and talk about some of our most favorite takeaways um, for us as, as MS4s finishing up med school this year and about to start internship this coming summer. Um, what were the most exciting takeaways for us and other team members? Um, and so Shannon, um, what did you kind of think about the cystic fibrosis episode? You want to tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, definitely. So cystic fibrosis was our very first episode that we that we released, and I think it was such a great one to start with because I know, especially for me, I felt like I understood the like pathophysiology of CF pretty well. I feel like medical school really prepares you for like knowing about the chloride channels and all of that stuff, but I didn't really know, you know, actual clinical knowledge about how to treat someone with CF. Um, so this was really a great episode um, for me to just like learn practical things that I didn't really know beforehand. Um, so I remember learning from this episode that along with the insulin deficiency and resistance that comes with CF diabetes, um, whenever you get a hemoglobin A1C on these patients, it tends to underestimate the actual blood sugars due to people with CF having just increased RBC turnover um, just in general. And so the best test to get for them is actually not a hemoglobin A1C, but a oral glucose tolerance test, um, which I definitely don't think about very often <laughs> getting one of those. So yeah, so that many was, great pearls. That was that specifically that hemoglobin A1C pearl. Um, that was practice changing for me. I had never thought about that before. And I thought that was so cool um, because I think often we don't think about, or I don't think about like how the utility of tests change depending on the underlying chronic illness or um, diagnoses of patients. So just knowing, hey, this is not necessarily the best test for this patient. We got we to gotta do something else. It's a super high yield. I, I, my mind was blown with, with that. Yeah. And one other thing I loved about uh, the CF episode, which was on a very note was that 90% of mutations are now covered by protein modulating agents. And uh, knowing a a couple people with CF myself and knowing that the life expectancy is um, currently 44 in in that uh, population, it is very exciting and encouraging to hear uh, that kind of coverage. And here is our producer, Clara, for the CF episode with her favorite pearl. My favorite pearl that we learned from Dr. Warren in this episode is that CF-related diabetes is actually a combination of both absolute insulin deficiency and relative insulin resistance. Should we move on to the bronchiolitis episode? 
Definitely. So I loved this episode. It was produced by Dr. Jessica Kelly, and our guest for this episode was Dr. Brian Alverson. After listening to Dr. Alverson talk about how he describes bronchiolitis to families and the evidence behind the workup and management for this diagnosis. He discussed, um, which is a pearl that the producer, Jess Kelly, also um, highlighted, which was how chest x-rays actually increase the use of antibiotics, but do not improve overall outcomes in bronchiolitis. Another learning point for me was that the AAP guidelines list grade A evidence against the use of um, steroids in bronchiolitis. In terms of when to admit to the hospital, he discussed admission criteria, which was really helpful learning about respiratory distress and the inability to maintain hydration. And then uh, finally, I think one of the really interesting points for me was learning about the mechanism behind high flow nasal cannula. There were four proposed mechanisms, um, blowing off CO2, humidifying and warming air, and uh, providing PEEP. So overall, great episode, tons of pearls. Definitely re-listen or take a look at the awesome infographic that Jess Kelly made. That episode was jam-packed. I felt like I had to literally like, like normally I listen to a podcast like whenever I'm doing other things, but that one I felt like I just had to sit there and just listen because there was just like pearl after pearl after pearl. It was so good. Tons of like pausing. Wait, what did I just learn? And then, and then resuming. It was great. Dr. Brian Alverson also has over 75 YouTube videos that are just free and they're pediatrics lectures. And I don't know how that didn't come up on, I think, Becca, didn't you say one of them is about the apocalypse or yeah, something? Yeah, like how to survive a zombie apocalypse. Most of them are core pediatric topics, but there's, you know, a little bit that of- That one's um, not as think- core. That's a little- that's I mean, a little bit more fringe pediatrics. I, yeah, yeah. I think that's a little bit like higher level, fellowship level kind of um, special topics. So. I mean, we had to deal with 2020, so we never know, you know, what's coming around the corner. Honestly. Yeah, the Great Water Wars and the zombie apocalypse. So speaking of just stars that um, came onto some of our earliest podcasts this season, we um, were able to episode on pediatric and adolescent pharyngitis with the Dr. Uncle Bob Centaur, uh, known as Uncle Bob on on this show and on the Curbsiders, um, I I got to have the opportunity to help produce that episode, and it was a really wonderful experience. Chris the Chew Man Chew um, had his pearl from this episode being: um, if your patient has a Centaur score of zero or one, you do not need to rapid strep test or give antibiotics. Um, I agree. This is a wonderful pearl because. Um, it definitely is really hard not to do a rapid strep test on a kiddo coming in with a sore throat. Um, but if you have a Centaur score of zero or one, you do not need to do that or or give antibiotics. Just to review, um, the Centaur criteria that was actually created by our guest, Dr. Rob Centaur, and then was modified later on to include age, includes age, the presence of exudate or swelling on the tonsils, tender, swollen anterior cervical lymph nodes, a temperature greater than 100.4, and cough, whether cough is present or absent. One pearl from the episode that I really appreciated that I think also is a little bit goes against maybe what you hear in the learning setting is that 
a history of a fever and not just the presence of a fever that you take when the kid comes into the clinic or the person comes into the clinic was just as good at sort of determining the Centaur score in the original in the original study as as like a, a recorded fever that was done in the clinic. So you should use the history of a fever and take that seriously. I also thought that for me, one of the other key takeaways that I really love from this episode um, and that served me when I was on my sub-I at Cashlack Children's was learning about the red flags for Lemire syndrome. The red flags for Lemire syndrome include rigors, unilateral neck swelling, pulmonary symptoms, and no improvement after five to six days. And this is a definitely do not miss, never miss diagnosis. Kids can get really sick and they they are really sick um, when they present with this. So I, I love having that sort of schema in my in my mind to, to think about um, complications of, of pharyngitis. So overall, really wonderful episode. And and do you know Dr. Dr. Bob Centaur, Shannon? Uh, I'm, he's around. We've we've come across each other every now and then. Yeah, we're from the same institution or like the same part of Cash Like Children's, I guess I'll say. And so whenever, you know, the pandemic hit and the Cribsiders was taking off and I decided that I really wanted to get involved with it, um, I just shot him an email because I knew that he was like the podcast aficionado at my part of Cash Like Children's. So I, you know, just reached out to him and said, how I'm getting involved in this podcast. I don't really know what that means. How does one even try to produce an episode for a podcast? Um, so, but he was really, really helpful. Um, and we had a nice chat on the phone about it because, you know, social distancing at that time. Um, definitely a fond memory I have of this year. So from anything from pharyngitis to podcasting, we've got our, our expert adult medicine consultant, uh, Dr. Uncle Bob Centaur. Absolutely. Right. How about we talk about next um, the episode, Things We Do for No Reason in PDF. Yes, everybody's favorite things we do for no reason. We had so much excitement for this episode. I think this was probably one of the most um, anticipated ones that we were hearing from um, on Twitter and other forms of social media. People were really excited about it since it's such a great segment on the curbsiders. Um, we had our great producer, um, Dr. Nick Lee, for this episode, and we'll definitely be getting more of these in the future. Our great guests for this episode was Dr. Lenny Feldman and Dr. Carrie Hertzke, and they were so great. Um, and so we'll hear from our producer, Nick Lee, about his favorite pearl from this episode. So his favorite pearl was at 36 hours, 97% of blood cultures that would grow a pathogenic organism would have already turned positive. So your rate of identifying a contaminant for cultures that turn positive after 36 hours increases eightfold. Um, which I think is something crazy that, you know, I feel like I could never really, whenever I'm presenting a patient at Cash Like Children's, I am so hesitant to say, oh, maybe we should stop antibiotics. Or, you know, I think that we've hit the 36 hour mark. We're probably not going to see anything. You know, that's something that me as a medical student, I'm very hesitant to say, but this gave, gives me a lot of confidence that, you know, maybe I could, can bring this literature up on rounds and maybe get some people off antibiotics. Lots of practice changing changing information here about what what is the data that supports the things that we do maybe there's not there's not good data to support what we do so i think this is like definitely an area that we're excited to keep pushing the envelope here at the cribsiders and and come up with um, better ways and smarter ways and more effective ways of doing kind of everything in terms of taking care of patients i wonder by the the time that we're you know 
well into residency or maybe even out we're out it won't be a 48 hour rule out anymore it'll be a 36 hour rule out or maybe even less than that i'm excited to see how the like the language changes totally so next we're gonna just pivot a little bit and we're gonna talk about another excellent episode this one actually produced by shannon um, on type 1 diabetes yeah, so we got um, our wonderful guest, Hussein Abdul-Latif, pediatric endocrinologist, um, who came on air to talk to us about type 1 diabetes. And he is just such an awesome doctor, but also just a great human and so charismatic and fun to listen to. So if you want a good time, definitely listen to that episode. My favorite pearl from that episode was that with the workup that um, you'd get for type 1 diabetes. You also need to screen for other autoimmune conditions such as celiac disease, thyroid disease, Addison's disease, and IBD. Um, those should all be con considered part of the diagnostic workup for a child with type 1 diabetes. Um, I think we often think about thyroid disease and maybe celiac and IBD, but Addison's disease, he has a, a nice little um, tangent on that in the episode. And that's something that I definitely don't think about very often on the wards. So definitely keep Addison's disease always in the back of your mind. Dr. Latif also talked about just some great practical knowledge, a lot of counseling knowledge to give um, families whenever you have a first diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. Um, and I learned how to count a carb, which I feel like I should have known being a fourth year medical student, but I did not know how to do that. So that was super, super helpful. And then hopefully we're trying to get a DKA episode with Dr. Latif for this next season. So be looking I'm looking forward to that. Another great pearl, speaking of DKA, was um, just on the infographic. I really like the, the common presentation section, but then also how the goal is to actually catch type 1 is before DKA. So we want to catch the diabetes before the, the child or the young adult presents in DKA. Unfortunately, the first time a diagnosis is made is when the kid is really sick and, and in the ICU, essentially, in DKA. Um, so that's definitely an awesome goal to have. For me, this episode also got the award of the hardest I laughed during any episode, because at one point, our guest posts to shut up. I don't know yes. if you remember this, Shannon. Yes, I do. That is a common catchphrase of him. Yes, I would do an impression of him because everyone at our section of Catch Like Children's that I am familiar with, we love that common catchphrase. So he just he tells everybody to shut up all the time and we love it. Awesome. Well, another well-beloved episode um, and one that had a ton of clinical pearls was produced by our very own Edward um, here, and that's the episode on asthma. What was your favorite part of um, producing the episode on asthma? Yeah, that, that was super fun. We had uh, guest Dr. Dave Stukas joining us, and he uh, talked to us a lot about the asthma guidelines. And this is something uh, Chris Chu, um, one of our hosts, mentioned um, earlier, but just to reiterate, um, there's this interesting discussion going on. And per the 2020 treatment strategies, uh, adults and adolescents who are 12 years and older should use an ICS LABA um, like budesonide uh, and formoterol as initial on-demand therapy. So even for uh, mild intermittent asthma, um, that is recommended to be used um, as needed. But then just recently, the NHLBI came out with recommendations that that uh, ICS lab combination can be held until step two for mild persistent and above. And they say, let's keep using uh, a SABA like albuterol for uh, intermittent asthma. So 
I think we should all keep our eyes open for some drama regarding that discussion in the future. No, I've already seen the drama play out, um, you know, in the clinical sphere of people that have read different guidelines. And, and it's, you know, I think it's an exciting time to think about how can we do asthma care better, but it's definitely causing some confusion and, and you know, the difference between adults versus adolescents and kids and with all the different guidelines, you know, when is an adolescent really an adolescent? When are they, can we consider them an adult? When are they still a kid um, with the guidelines different? This definitely came up on my sub-I at Cashlack Children's and it was quite quite an exciting debate to, to witness and, and to be part of that conversation. At Cashlack Southeast, similar discussions were had and there, there was a time when um, someone was uh, given a budesonide uh, formoterol inhaler and it was kind of exciting to see it happen. So um, we are seeing things uh, kind of right away. So cool. So last, last episode on our, or, or not so rapid fire, because it's just so exciting to talk about all of these episodes. Recap is Community Acquired Pneumonia, which is an amazing episode. Um, Cleo, take it away. You're right, Becca. This was an amazing episode. And I have to say, do y'all ever remember exactly what you were doing when you were listening to certain episodes? Because for me, I was shopping for my Zoom background plant when I was listening to this pneumonia episode. (laughs) And that's my fun fact about this episode. But it was so packed with great pearls and learning points. Um, It was produced by Dr. Max Cruz, our guest in Lipset. And she really did a deep dive into community-acquired pneumonia and taught us so many great things. So um, to highlight some of these pearls, um, Dr. Lipset taught us that the only clinical findings that have been associated with a diagnosis of uh, bacterial pneumonia are hypoxemia and increased work of breathing. She also taught us how chest x-rays are not great at diagnosing community-acquired pneumonia, but a normal chest x-ray can be a super helpful tool to rule it out. Um, So overall, loved this episode. I think we have a pearl from our um, producer, Dr. Max Cruz, which we'll play now. My clinical pearl is regarding treatment of bacterial community-acquired pneumonia because it's a common diagnosis that's still often treated suboptimally. The pearl is that high-dose amoxicillin should almost always be the first thing you reach for. People often assume cephalosporins are superior, but due to oral pharmacokinetics, high-dose amox is often the far better choice for the majority of cases. Awesome. That was a great pearl. And overall, just such episode, if you want to look back at that infographic too, just another plug for the infographics that the producers so work so hard on and provide a lot of helpful information. I think this episode also wins for the best titled episode. If I remember correctly, it's Community Acquired Pneumonia, The Alveoli Strikes Back. So I thought that I loved was, that title too. Yeah, <laughs> the best one. And just to plug further what Cleo was saying about um, this infographic, the um, section at the bottom of the infographic um, talks about complications and defines kind of like different complications of um, paraneumonic effusions, their size, the definition, and the treatment. And that is just so, so awesome, so useful. I could definitely see myself pulling this up on the wards. So uh, definitely want to plug this infographic. All right. Our our next section that we're going to talk about is kind of our section on episodes that we really think um, encapsulated the education on kind of informed decision making that we can do with families. Um, and I think this is such an important thing to be educated on, especially as fourth year medical students. I feel like we get really hounded with pathophysiology and pharmacology and all these like really scientific things, but so much of a pediatrician's job is 
their ability to communicate and kind of form a relationship with families as well as the patient. So I've been really fortunate in, and grateful for these episodes that really teach me how to how to communicate with families, because I think if you are a good communicator and you're on the same page as the family, that can make you just an incredible pediatrician. Yeah. And in one of the episodes where we talked about was the infant nutrition episode, um, which I produced and our guest was Dr. Joan Meek. We, we talked about how after, you know, after discussion, some families will make an informed choice to use formula feeding, or they have uh, different reasons to formula feed. And that this decision should not be stigmatized, but instead we should build trust um, through communication and support and um, really partner with the, with the families who, who we're caring for. We also, in this episode, talked about uh, the legacy of some health inequities in breastfeeding. We talked about the legacy of wet nursing all the way um, from slavery and efforts to reduce those health inequities, um, like fantastic nonprofits such as Reaching Our Sisters Everywhere. And we also talked about the need for us as clinicians, as future clinicians, to uh, recognize these structural inequities and constantly be uh, holding them in our minds when we're caring for uh, patients and families. And then another episode where we talked about informed decision-making with families was uh, the anaphylaxis episode, which was produced by Ann Young. So this was also a great episode to learn about how to talk with families and parents about anaphylaxis and really some great learning points for me as a learner too about how to, to talk about some of these topics. So in anaphylaxis, one thing I took away was that um, any skin changes can be a sign of anaphylaxis and really educating families that not just hives, but any notable skin changing changes may be concerning for anaphylaxis. And Dr. Ann Young, who produced this episode, uh, had a pearl that was to praise parents who have administered an epinephrine auto-injector to their child with anaphylaxis. It's very difficult um, to give this drug, but it's life-saving. So parents should be commended for their courage and tell them that you're you're proud of them. I think that the guest on this episode, Dr. Julie Brown, talked about how when patients come into the ED to congratulate them for giving the auto-injector and that it's never, I think she said several times, it's never the wrong choice and to really uh, emphasize that. Yeah, I completely agree. I thought that was such a useful pearl. Um, I definitely We'll make sure to do that in the future. And I think this episode, um, I think more than any other episode, this was like the episode this year that I wanted to send to like my family members. Uh, my brother and his wife had a baby last January and they had a little episode going to the ER to get observed. And um, for like absolutely this question, was it anaphylaxis? Was it not with the little one? And I just think this is such a great episode to listen to as a learner, but also probably as someone with a young kiddo um, or someone that takes care of children. I remember just like looking through the, the multiple infographics um, that they made for this episode and they're so useful and so clarifying. So um, I would say that this is like my I don't know if this is an award to give, but this is that the, the award I would give this episode is the episode I would most share with someone non-medical um, because I think it's just super helpful information that's really people in all careers, I think, and, and all stages of life could benefit from. It's such a great episode. I, I really love this category. Um, I feel like 
you know, because we're all in medicine, I think it can be so easy to forget like what it was like to not be in medicine. Um, and especially when we're interacting with patients and their caregivers. Um, fun fact, I adopted, I adopted a dog uh, in quarantine and he is like very reactive and has a lot of needs. And I definitely, the other same time partner, like I get so scared, like when my dog, like, you know, eats something or has this thing, like, I don't know, like, if there's something we should call the vet for, I don't know if like, he needs medical attention, I don't know if this is just normal. Um, and I remember my partner saying, like, you know, this is like what most of the population feels like, like when their, you know, significant person in their life has has something that's wrong or doesn't feel right. And so I think that including the family is like so important. I love that it is built into all the episodes. Speaking of built into all the episodes, I really am excited to do this next group of episodes in the theme of anti-racism and med ed. So, you know, 2020 has been big year, a big year for many reasons. And one of the reasons is this um, like racial re-reckoning of the Black Lives Matter movement. And, um, you know, I, I think it is really past time that medicine has come to start talking about and acting on these topics. Um, so I'm really excited about this. All the producers really care about these topics. And I felt like this was a really great chance to work with Becca and also with Crystal, who is now an intern and also one of the great producers on this show, um, to really integrate anti-racism into everything we talk about on this podcast. I felt like it was a really great way to be proactive and piggybacking off of the really innovative nature of podcasting and medical education um, to also have this chance to, you know, shape this podcast from the beginning has been a really valuable experience. Becca, I loved listening to the companion episode that you helped plan and write. And I wanted, I wanted to, if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to help produce um, and sort of um, brainstorm and then, um, do the show notes and, and infographic for a really wonderful, I think, sort of innovative episode that we did um, on race correction in the pediatric UTI guideline. We did this companion episode with Dr. Poitvian, um, who is, was an amazing guest um, and just a brilliant person to listen to. Um, and we talked about um, the concerns, the problems, and the legacy of using race as a biologic category and then using race um, as something that we correct for in, in guidelines. So for example, the UTI guidelines uses a racial correction factor to assess the risk of a UTI in a pediatric patient. And so we, we had her on and really just talked to her about sort of her perspective and her concerns about this. I remember I had the opportunity actually to um, talk with Dr. Poitvian um, about this on rounds at, at Cashlack Children's Northeast um, on my sub-I. And it was such an inspiring um, uh, sort of bedside teaching moment that I, I thought of her when we wanted to do a companion episode. I think some of the key pearls that, you know, get said a lot, but are really important to just keep saying because I think it's easy to forget and it's easy to stop seeing this when you see um, contradicting utility of race in medicine is that race is a social construct and that there are no inherent biologic differences across socially constructed racial categories. Um, so this is a key pearl for me. And then, you know, I think a lot of us have we see a lot of disparity, we see a lot of things that concern us in medicine, but 
often the question is, as a learner, what do we do next? And what do we do with that disparity or that race correction that we don't know where it comes from and we're, we're worried, is this helpful? Is this harmful? We don't really know. And I thought that um, Dr. Pavian offered a really helpful algorithm to, to think about this. So she describes when you see racial disparities or racial differences described, like any good scientist, any good clinician, ask, does this make sense? Stay curious. And then in, in interpreting the data, look at how the authors define race. Think about how does society impact racial groups to create different outcomes and then use your basic principle of do no harm and be aware of the potential for harm from race correction or race-based medicine. And these simple guidelines and the simple algorithm to think about the potential effect of harm uh, in race correction, I think has been super helpful for me, not only in the UTI guidelines, but across other episodes. So this was a really, um, I think, practice-changing companion episode, even though it was really short. And I think this is also something that I've, I've sent to a lot of people, and I think it was really helpful for others to think about. Um, so I, I thought this was an awesome episode. I was really happy to help produce it. Becca, I thought it was amazing. I really love this idea of, you know, such a simple question, like, does it make sense? And I think that sense of taking a pause, having, you know, employing our critical thinking skills that got us this far in medical school, I think, you know, I, I definitely appreciate this as we all move into residencies where we're really busy and we're learning all of these algorithms and guidelines and trying to take the best care of our patients that we can, um, but also recognizing that, you know, guidelines are made by humans and there's always, always room for improvement, um, really in all senses of that word, um, on how we, you know, manage and treat and interact with patients. Totally. And another great episode, I think, that really captured this commitment to keeping an anti-racist lens was the episode on sickle cell anemia. Angela, I'm wondering if you could just talk about what you thought was so helpful in terms of that perspective in this episode. Yeah, I really love this episode. I think that um, it was so interesting to hear about like a specialist talk about somebody with sickle cell anemia and I just feel this episode had so much, you know, not only was our guest, Dr. Lydia Pecker, really knowledgeable about all the complications and the ins and outs of treating sickle cell. Like I loved how she talked about how folic acid is really sweet. And so many pediatric patients remember this fondly. And it's a really unconventional or, you know, to me as a lay learner in this field, unconventional way to build that kind of healthcare trust and positive interaction. Um, and also, you know, she talked about the experimental gene therapy, which you can find at the bottom of the infographic. You know, that sickle cell has all of these innovations in it. Um, but then I also really loved how she talked about the epidemiology of sickle cell anemia. You know, I think definitely in medical school, I've been taught that sickle cell is a race-based disease, um, which is not an accurate way of describing it. But I loved how she addressed that. But then she said, you know, it is in individuals who have ancestry tracing back to countries where malaria is endemic because the gene for sickle cell is protective against malaria. You know, I just, I loved how she brought it back to, again, Becca, like this question of does it make sense, you know, and it makes sense that it is protective against malaria. And so that you can also find in people with ancestral descent from India and from Greece and that in the United States, because of the legacy of slavery and how people immigrated to this country or came to this country or were brought to this country, epidemiologically, this is why you might see it in people who identify as socially Black. And so I thought that was a really nuanced thing and also didn't refute the epidemiology that we do see it predominantly African-American populations here and that it's really important to keep that inequity in mind um, when treating patients. 
All right. Yes, I'm so proud to work on a podcast that really is, you know, making sure that we have anti-racist um, ways of thinking and we're like trying to pursue thinking about that in just every single episode and making sure that we make it a part of every single episode. Um, we've gotten great feedback about those parts of our episodes. <laughs> and additionally, we just kind of wanted to have a section where we talk about some episodes that we've gotten a lot of great feedback about um, specifically, um, whether it's from, you know, Apple podcast reviews or through social media like Twitter and Facebook and um, Instagram. So um, just a couple of episodes that we've really just gotten great feedback from. First being the ADHD episode um, that our wonderful producer Angela produced. And Angela, do you want to just give us a quick rundown of what you liked best or learned? Yeah, I really loved this episode. Um, Dr. Sarah Vinson is such a powerhouse when it comes to talking about behavioral health and psychiatry, and um, especially how it impacts communities of color. And I just thought this was such a wonderful episode. And she really integrated clinical practice as well as thinking about social justice within healthcare. So, you know, for Clinical Pearls, I really appreciated how she said, you know, just pick your favorite drugs from the first line medications for ADHD. I felt like as a learner, it can be really overwhelming to memorize all these different drugs. And then in real practice, knowing that insurance and, you know, where your clinic is located and the patient population, like that might all determine like which actual drug you'd use out of the classes. So I think that was a really nice pearl for people who are listening um, nationwide, maybe even globally to this episode. I also loved how she talked about the Vanderbilt as really a checklist. You know, it tells you that your patient has symptoms that, you know, look like ADHD, but whether whether it is actually ADHD requires further digging, uh, maybe some other screening, keeping in mind things like trauma, like vitamin deficiencies, sleep deficiency, um, whether, you know, the environment that your patient is in is really aligning with their needs and developmental um, stages at that time, which I thought was really great. You know, um, it helps me, I think, zoom out and think about all these different screening tools that we have and how they're really just checklists and that they're not going to tell you, you know, what your patient has, and that you can use them as a tool, but really the successful encounter is through talking to them and getting to know your patient and getting their needs and priorities. The feedback that I really loved was this tweet by at Piano Grump, and um, they say, listen to the Curbsetters episode after Sarah Vincent and ADHD in the car yesterday. Good thing I was alone because I kept screaming, yes, thank you, exactly, very loudly in between some yelling at traffic. Very happy to see this as a topic because doctors seem pretty lousy at it, TBH, which is, to be honest, for all those unversed in internet lingo. I wish all the psychiatrists who dismiss my symptoms and the ones who believe me but were afraid to prescribe stimulants would listen. Love that it touched on ADHD as a risk factor for substance misuse. Stimulants may be controlled substances, but they can decrease that risk of misuse. I especially love the discussion about why colorblind is a bad thing to be and how psychiatric diagnoses are affected by the doctor's implicit biases and have concrete effects down the line for the person. Won't give it all away, but worth a listen even if you aren't psych. Love that they said won't give it all away as if we're listening to some serialized drama with a, you know, plot twist at the end. But, you know, I, this tweet meant so much to me because it seems like this person is on the patient facing side of ADHD and to have this mean something to them and to have it you know, be accurate and for their lived experience, you know, I think is something that we all strive to do with these episodes uh, to kind of bridge that gap and bring patients um, into the decision making with us. 
So another episode that we got great feedback on was our most recent release, which is Trauma-Informed Care. It was produced by Crystal and Joan. It was their guest, Dr. Heather Forkey, and just really awesome pearls for how to um, work with patients in the clinic and questions to ask. And um, Shannon, did you have a pearl that you wanted to share? Yeah, definitely. So I really enjoyed this episode, um, especially with my education thus far at Cashelac Children's Southeast. Um, I feel like I've gotten a lot of exposure to inpatient trauma-informed care, and I've, I've seen a lot of conversations between caregivers, families, and the patient care teams um, whenever, you know, a traumatic event happens and they're in their in the hospital because of that. But I really like that this episode kind of focused on either preventing, you know, backlashes of trauma and then also how to incorporate, you know, asking these questions um, in the clinic each and every visit and how trauma-informed care should be something that we are doing in the outpatient setting as well. And then specifically, I really liked when um, our guest, Dr. Heather Forkey, um, just kind of went through, obviously, I'm not going to say it as eloquently as she did, um, but just about how it's really important to create a space um, in the patient visit where it's okay to talk about these things. And it may not happen the very first visit. And we can't always expect a patient or their caregiver to, you know, give us all the details of, of their life on the first visit. But, you know, just being a physician who's just open and non-judgmental and just kind of creating an atmosphere of acceptance and, and, and wanting to make sure your patient is comfortable with opening up. And I feel like I say this at every recap that I've done, but the infographic for this episode has some awesome acronyms and just really useful tools. I think that um, everyone should take a look at and see if they can incorporate it into their clinic experiences. Yeah. And the feedback that we got on this episode was so wonderful. Um, we got a five-star review for this episode and said, the listener said, this episode was so informative and well-presented. As a former community health worker, I was trained to ask the ACE questionnaire and was amazed at how little I and the community know about trauma-informed care and social determinants. I wrote a thesis during nursing school about trauma-informed care and how nurses can implement these practices on a daily basis. Thank you for bringing this topic to the show. That was such wonderful feedback, very flattering. But also my favorite thing about this feedback is um, that this was from someone that is was in nursing school and is in the nursing field. And I think that um, having episodes that successfully cross to interdisciplinary fields of medicine is just such an important um, thing that both the curbsiders and the curbsiders has been able to do. So I especially love to see feedback from our peers outside of our, you know, MDDO peers, seeing nurses, PAs, um, pharmacists, parents, community members, um, patient advocates. I think it's really cool that we can produce a show that um, is meaningful and helpful and useful and speaks across disciplines because I think healthcare more than ever, it's a team effort. And so um, teaching and learning together as a team is so exciting. All right. I think those are all our episodes. When we do that, when we do it like this, it just flew by. <laughs> We've learned so much. Yeah. When we were going through like picks of the year, I was like, oh no, this is going to be a four hour episode, um, which I was like totally here for. As you guys know, there are a lot of things that even though 2020 has been a difficult year that we are all looking forward to in 2021. Um, one thing that we all share is that we are all graduating 
from medical school this year, 2021. I, th- I think that's the first thing I thought about when I woke up this morning. I was like, I am going to be a doctor this year. That is wild. So um, there's lots to look forward to, even though um, we're in a difficult time and entering a difficult winter season of, of surging COVID cases and, and a lot of um, a lot of difficulty all around. But I'd love to hear from everybody what they're most looking forward to in, in 2021. I am looking forward so much to seeing my family. I haven't seen my parents in over a year because of COVID and um, living far from home. Um, I also have a almost one year old nephew that I've met only once before COVID. So I'm looking forward to taking a little bit of time away from clinical time and and quarantining and hopefully seeing people safely at a distance um, in 2021. And I'm also looking forward to match day. I don't know what it's going to look like. It'll probably be very different than past years, but it'll be so exciting to see where I end up for my residency training and where where we're going to move to for the next um, for the next while. So lots to look forward to. How about you, Anne? So um, yeah, so what am I looking forward to? Wow, it honestly doesn't feel like it's a new year today. I feel like just because, you know, New Year's Eve looked so different for a lot of people, I still feel like we're living in 2020. But something I'm looking forward to first, after we all get vaccinated and the pandemic is winding down, I would love to hopefully this year just sit with some of my friends inside on my couch, you know, hang out on Zoom or other video is just so different. And I feel like you know, it's, it doesn't allow for those silences. We can just be with other people. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I actually have a lot of family in Wuhan. I will never have to ever (laughs) clarify where I am from in China after this year. I just remember this clear break uh, when people would always ask me, you know, where is that? You know, what's that city like? Um, And now I can just say it's 11 million people. So, So I have family there and I would love to see them. My grandpa is there right now and he is safe and everyone is safe. And honestly, Wuhan is doing great. People are basically out and back to normal. So definitely happy to hear that. Something I'm looking forward to in season two of The Curbsiders is uh, we're doing a really cool episode on refugee health, um, which The Curbsiders had an episode of. So it'd be cool to link those age groups because, you know, as we know, refugees can be of all ages and the needs can span both pediatrics and medicine. Um, and then something else I'm excited about is I'm doing a companion episode to the ADHD um, episode. And so I'm interviewing a lot of educators and like social workers and other scholars. So I'm super excited to bring that viewpoint to ADHD. Um, how about you, Edward? Yeah, well, I, I definitely share some of your um, excitement about family because I have really not been able to see my grandmother who turns 96 in April. Uh, she, you know, I think that has been extremely difficult for everybody. I was talking about Together by Vivek Murthy earlier and the isolation, uh, especially for people who, you know, are retired or really just want to spend time with, uh, with with their family has been really difficult. So I'm really 2021 looking forward to seeing her um, in person. And then the other thing is coffee shops. I miss going to coffee shops so much. I never realized how important it is to me to spend too much money on coffee to have the experience of sitting around and uh, drinking drinking some different drink while I while I do work also. So very excited for that. Fingers crossed. And what about you, Cleo? 
Edward, I have to say it, that is one of the things I'm looking forward to most about 2021 is coffee shops. I love coffee shops, so I agree. I'm also really looking forward to match day, slightly anxious about it, but mostly excited. And then I think in terms of the Cribsiders, I think season two is going to be awesome. I am very excited to hear more episodes and just one specific one I'm excited about. We just recorded one on Otitis Media a few weeks ago, and I think it's really cool to hear the perspective of, of pediatric ENT, who's our guest for that. Um, lots of stuff to look forward to. What about you, Shannon? I would definitely just echo all the family mentions and the traveling and, and all that in the coffee shops. Absolutely. Um, I think for me, I was so excited to go and sit inside a restaurant. <laughs> I have missed it so much. That was like one of my favorite things to do. Um, the town that I live in has a great food scene. So I just love trying new restaurants and um, spending time with friends and family, um, just sitting around a table. I miss that so, so much. And then in terms of the Cribsiders, I think they have recently recorded a episode on pediatric seizures, which I'm very excited to listen to. I feel like a pediatric seizure is such a kind of bread and butter pediatrics topic. And I remember on my um, hospital medicine sub-I, whenever a patient would come in with a seizure, I had it all the time. Like it was a very common, common workup and common um, admission but I, I don't think I fully really understood what we were doing the whole time. So <laughs> I am very excited to um, listen to that episode and learn about pediatric seizures. I agree, but I have a wish for you, Shannon. I hope mm. that in 2021 that you can go to a BTS concert. And <gasps> if oh, that Edward. happens, I just, I want the joy for you. Oh gosh, you don't even know. I thought about putting that down as my most looking forward to moment as well. But I figured I didn't want to double down. But yes, that's definitely up there. Seconded. <laughs> I think that is a great, great closing note. Um, we're going to uh, invite via um, audio recording some of our other producers to most looking forward to in this new year. It's uh, recording on January 1, 2020, um, And it's been such a pleasure um, all being together here as MS4s doing this recap episode. Um, major shout out to Angela and Edward for, for organizing and writing, producing this, um, this script. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. This has been great. Thanks, guys. I've been Edward Cordy. <laughs> I've been Becca Raymond Kolker. I've been Cleo Rochat. I've been Angela Zhang. I've been Shannon Snowgrove. Thank you. And, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Have a good year. <laughs> <laughs> this is Justin Burke. I have two pits of the week that I loved and remember and wanted to share again. They were mine. Sorry, guys. But the egg cream drink from the West Wing, uh, can't live without. Everyone should try it. And my favorite Netflix uh, pearl was John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Hey, my name is Ann Young. My favorite book from 2020 was The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And something I'm looking forward to in 2021 is watching the Tokyo Olympics. My favorite thing from 2020 was getting a brand new library card and using the app called Libby to read books. And I look forward to reading more books in 2021. And my favorite pearl from an episode I helped to produce is using the splint mnemonic and explaining how trauma can be connected to symptoms in our episode with Dr. Heather Forkey in Trauma-Informed Care. In 2021, I think like most people, I am hopeful that I'll be able to see my family, um, hug my family, and um, maybe 
too optimistically, but uh, to travel. Hello, this is Nick, producer of COVID Back to School, Things We Do for No Reason and Missy here at UT Southwestern. My picks of the year are from another world because 2020 Earth is way too much sometimes. They are The Expanse, which is on Amazon Prime, and Brandon Sanderson's new book from the Stormlight Archive, Rhythm of War. In 2021, I'm looking forward to more Cripsiders episodes and hopefully going on vacation with my wife again. Have a great year, everybody. Hey there, it's Chris the Chi Manchu, and I've been asked by our season one recap team to give some of my favorite pearls of the season. So my first pearl comes from the Pharyngitis episode with Dr. Uncle Bob Centaur. Basically, it's if your patient has a center score of 0-1, you don't need to do a rapid strep or give antibiotics. One, one of my other favorite pearls from the season comes from our asthma episode with Dave Stuckus. Basically, we discussed how the 2020 Gina treatment strategy tells us that we should consider for adults and adolescents greater than 12 years of age to use the ICS-LABA combination as initial on-demand therapy. Whereas the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute is saying it should be reserved for step two, which is the mild persistent and above and to keep the PRN Saba for intermediate asthma. So I guess there's gonna be a little more disagreement in the future on that. My last pearl from season comes from our infant nutrition episode with Dr. Joan Meek. Basically, I thought it was interesting when we talked about how some families will make an informed choice to use formula feeding and that we should really not stigmatize them if they decide not to use breastfeeding. Instead, we should build trust through communication and support. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate all our listeners for the Cribsiders this last season. Hope you and look forward to seeing what we have in store for you in the future seasons. See you guys later. This has been Chris the Chew Manchu. Over and out.